0: Well, early on, in the time where my wife and I dated before getting married, we had to endure a long-distance relationship. Any of you ever had to do that? Right? It's not fun. She was back at school in Indiana, and I was taking some time off, uh, a semester off from school working for my father back here in Oregon. We talked on the phone often, and uh, instant messaging had just become a thing, right? So we were super stoked. You know, I am, back in the day. All the young people in the room were like, what's I am? (laughs) It was just short of uh, cassette tapes, but still good. So we talked on the phone often and we had I am, but these just didn't suffice. We both wanted to be in one another's presence. We wanted to hold each other's hand and to look into each other's eyes. And so when time was nearing for us to see each other in person, whether it was me flying back to see her or her coming home, Hope would well up in our hearts because we knew that we were about to see someone we cared for. The pains and trials that we endured in a broken world during that time, they would kind of melt away as we got near the return of that person. Do you guys ever feel this way? Do you ever have family that's far away or friends that are far away that you long to see and hold and look into their eyes? Even yesterday, seeing Marcel on Skype, I was so sad that he couldn't be here, but Skype was okay. Okay but I like to see my friend in person. When you haven't seen someone you love in a while, you long for their return. You long to see them. And hope wells up inside. And this hope that seeing someone in the flesh brings, it's it's an amazing hope. It's a thing that actually makes everything better. No amount of Skype or FaceTime will make up for being in one another's presence in the flesh. This morning, I want to take a break from our study in Deuteronomy to get us a bit in the Christmas spirit. Here on the fourth Sunday of Advent, I want us to think about the hope that the incarnation brought to the people of Jesus' day, that they got to see their Savior, their Messiah, the one they have been longing for in the flesh, in person. And I'd like to take that and see how that hope transfers to us, that even though we don't see Jesus of Nazareth in person today, we still have the same hope of incarnation, And so this morning, we're going to see two stories of people that were waiting with anticipation. They were waiting with hope to see the Messiah of the Lord, the one that would save their people. And I think we'll be encouraged by what the Lord communicates through them. So let's read from our text this morning. If you're not there already, you can turn to Luke chapter 2. and We'll be in verse 22. This was about 40 days or so after the birth of Jesus, still a very young child. that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And Jesus' father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." Well, we could converse at length about all the various aspects of hope that come through the incarnation of Christ in the flesh, but today I want to look at three specific aspects that come through this text. The first one is consolation, and then salvation, and then redemption. And so first we see, and you can write this down if you're taking notes, the incarnation brought consolation. Simeon had been waiting for the consolation of Israel. There in verse 25. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Consolation is a word we don't often use that often. Did I say that right? Yeah. We don't often say that often. Console. How many times do you go up, let me console you, right? If someone's crying, may I console you? We don't use that anymore. Well, the word we use more often is comfort. May I comfort you? The comfort of Israel. You see, folks, from the, sin, from the moment sin entered the world, mankind as a whole has been waiting for comforting. Do me a favor, raise your hand if you feel like you need to be comforted, even right now. Yeah. Pretty much everybody wants to be comforted. Most of the men in the room, they don't admit it, but even the men want to be comforted. All of us want consolation. Consolation from God. When we step outside of our home or we step outside of this building, we know that the world is going to fight back at us. And even in our own homes or in this church, we have sin in the core of our being that we know we fight against. And we want to be comforted even from our own brokenness and our broken hearts. The sin of our first mother and father, Adam and Eve, cast us out from the abode of God and sent us into a world ruled by our own darkened hearts and divine rebellion against God. And, church, whether we want to admit it or not, even at the age of 110, Every single one of us is still a child that wants to be comforted by our Father God. We were created to be in the abode of God. And so to not be there wholeheartedly, he calls us to to want comfort from the brokenness. And church, our God is so loving and so kind and so filled with care for his creation that he gave us a promise immediately after the sin of our first mother and father that he would not allow the divine uprising of sin and death to overcome his plan. He would be one with his creation. And his promise is contained in his declaration of the fallout of Satan's rebellion and his coaxing of Eve into that same disobedience. You've read this before, but here it is again. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Right there, where it says enmity between the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, the word there is tsera in the Hebrew. It means seed. I don't know if you guys took biology or not, but women don't usually have the seed. And so that right there immediately is the first statement of the gospel that a woman, a virgin, would conceive a child and that offspring would crush the head of the serpent. From the get-go, God wanted to care for us. God made it clear that one day a woman would come along and her offspring would be the victor over the rebellion by Satan and the other fallen angels. And church, this person, this savior and this victor became a hope held by God's people Israel because they knew that he, the Messiah, would come from them. He knew, they knew that he would save them from their sin. You see, as a response to their disobedience to the Lord, God had pulled his hand of protection from them. The Israelites wanted this Messiah and they knew they needed him, but just like you and me, their hearts were so dark that they couldn't follow him and they couldn't obey him and they started to wander into that same rebellion. And so God lovingly pulled his hand of protection from them to show them that they needed him. And he allowed them to enter into exile at the hands of their enemies. And so this sin that was personal in Adam and Eve now became national in Israel. And in 587 BC, Babylon came in and took the last of Israel, conquered her people and drug them into exile. And so from that point on, for 600 plus years, those who had faith in Yahweh and his mercy waited patiently for him to not only provide salvation from sin, but to provide a conquering Messiah that would save them from their oppressors. A Messiah who would lead them in victory over their enemies. And even more importantly, in victory over their own dark hearts and defiance of God. And they waited with this immense anticipation probably far more than any of us have ever understood because God had promised his comfort to Israel. Our reading from Isaiah 40 earlier speaks of that comfort that was promised. Here's another one from Isaiah 66. It says, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And so when Simeon was holding this small baby boy in his arms, it wasn't just a baby visit at the hospital like I do. This was salvation. Can you imagine that moment? Holding this baby and realizing that this child, not yet 40 days old, he was going to be the ultimate comfort given by Yahweh. He was the Lord's Christ, the one that would become the anointed king of Israel and really the whole world, and that he would save even Simeon from his sin. And God didn't stop there. After that same child lived a life of obedience for 30 plus years, obedience to the father, he died a brutal death on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice for you and me so that we might have our sins atoned for and enter back into relationship with the father. Jesus resurrected, proving his sacrifice was victorious over sin and death. And he rose to heaven to be anointed king and high priest over his people, the church. King over you and me. And at that time, he sent his Holy Spirit into the church that we might be comforted now and forever. Look at what Jesus himself says about the Holy Spirit. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, what's interesting about this is that that word helper, the word parakletos. It means helper, comforter, counselor. He's all of those things, but comforter is in there. And that comforter, look at what he is going to do. Jesus said to him, said to them, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejected or rejoiced. <laughs> because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. The Holy Spirit was sent to comfort us. He does that through two ways. The first is one I think we often forget about. I've shared the story with you of going and visiting someone who was uh, basically stuck in their home. They had agoraphobia. And I said to them, what do you need right now? And they said, I just wish Jesus would hold me, would hug me. And I looked at them and said, well, can I give you a hug? And they said, absolutely. And I gave them a hug. And then I said, you know, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. And as a Christian, I'm part of the body of Christ. And so I want you to know that the Lord just hugged you. We often forget that the body of Christ, the physical, tangible body of Christ that sits around you, has the Holy Spirit dwelling within each of us and unites us as a church. And so church, when you struggle and suffer, the Holy Spirit is here to comfort you. Not just innately internally, but also in one another. We are called by the Holy Spirit to intervene into one another's pain, to comfort each other. And so that same incarnation that came in comfort, that brought comfort in Jesus, that same comfort can come through one another in the flesh incarnate. Secondly, the Holy Spirit reminds us of the words that Christ has spoken. The Holy Spirit reminds us that he is with us and interceding for us to the Father. He reminds us that Jesus has promised to return. He will come to us in his second advent to rule and reign on this earth and usher in true peace. The Holy Spirit comforts us and cares for us. And so this morning, if you feel the pain of the world around you, if you are going through something painful, I want the knowledge of the incarnation to bring you peace. Not as the world gives, but let the fact of his first coming and the promise of his second return give you a peace that surpasses understanding. And let this compel you to share it with those around you so that you might be comforted by those who desire to be the hands and feet of Jesus to you. And so the incarnation brings consolation or comfort. Well, the second thing that the incarnation brought was salvation. You can write that down. The incarnation brought salvation. In this small song of praise that Simeon gives, he gives thanks to God for allowing him to see God's plan of salvation, that it was actually rolling out right in front of him. How odd would it be, church, if I were doing a baby dedication and a man and woman came up on stage and took the baby and said, this is the Savior. Can you imagine? Poor Mary and Joseph are standing there like, oh, this is great. You know, hey, we got grandpa and grandma and everybody's here, you know, at church basically. Let's, let's do this thing, right? And then this prophet comes up and says, hey, do you know this is the Messiah? Well, they did because Joseph had, had a dream and Mary had been told by an angel. So if they hadn't gotten it by then, they're a little bit slow. But still kind of odd, right? Well, Simeon was a man that was known for being righteous and devout. And he came up to them and grabbed this baby and said, wow, this, this baby is going to bring salvation. And that salvation was something that Simeon knew he needed because he was righteous and devout. You know, the difference between a righteous person and an unrighteous person, a righteous person knows that they're unrighteous and that they need Jesus. That's the only difference. The reality is that Simeon knew he needed deliverance from sin and its consequences. He knew that this salvation was needed by all mankind. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, verse 9, Isaiah says this, It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. I want you just pause for a second and think about that verse. Brothers and sisters, do you wait on Christ? Do you wait with anticipation? Do you wait not only for his movement in your life now, but also for his second coming or is life too busy? I think that Christmas should be a time where we sit in waiting anticipation, focused on the fact that Jesus came in his first advent, and he's coming in a second. The word in Hebrew for salvation is Yeshua, and Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yehoshua, meaning Yahweh brings salvation, or Yahweh saves. Simeon knew that in this small baby that he held in his arms that he was seeing the way by which Yahweh would save his people. This baby boy would grow to become a man that would call all people to trust in him and to give their allegiance to him as king. You know, we sing all these Christmas carols about Jesus as our king. Is that true for you? He was going to be a light for the Gentiles, a light that would remove the darkness of our blindness. Those outside of Israel were and are following false gods that cannot save them. I was there and so were you. And so the ministry of the teaching of Jesus would bring sight to the blind, sight that would allow them and us to understand that we are lost without Christ, that we are away from the God that created us, that we are sinful and that we have rebelled against him and that we need to accept his free gift of salvation and repent from our sins. Simeon also says that Jesus was going to be glory for Israel. This same Jesus was going to recover the glory of his people. He would raise them out of the muck and mire of their own disobedience to give them their proper place among mankind as God's chosen people. Simeon ended his prophetic statement with the fact that a result of this salvation was that many hearts and minds would be revealed. Take a look there at verse 35, the second part. He says that this salvation in Christ would would be so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The salvation given by Jesus Christ becomes a light that shines so brightly on the state of our hearts that it begs the question, Will you admit your defiance towards God? It begs the question will you submit to the reign of this man who claimed to be God incarnate? Jesus was either a complete nut or he was actually God in the flesh. He asks for nothing short of our allegiance and our repentance from all that we have placed in his way. Jesus proved that he was God incarnate in his resurrection. And all of this begs the question, in short, what do you do with the truth of Jesus Christ? Isn't it interesting, church, how the entire world knows of Jesus to the point where they celebrate his birth, and yet they don't know him at all? What do you do with the truth of Jesus Christ? This morning, if you don't know Jesus, if you're visiting here and you don't know who he is, the Holy Spirit is desiring to reveal the core of your hearts to you. You have one of two options. You can continue to deny Christ and all that he has done for you and deny that you've walked in rebellion toward him, or you can submit your life to him because he has proven through his death for you that he loves you and he desires to be one with you. He's calling you to submit to his loving rule. His birth brought the promise of salvation for each of us. It brought the hope that we can be saved from our sins, So if you don't know Jesus today, I would beg you to receive that grace. If you want to, I would love to pray with you after service. Just come and grab me. I'm pretty easy to spot. Let's talk about what it is to be a follower and disciple of Jesus. Well, lastly, we see not only did the incarnation bring salvation and bring consolation, but third here, we see that the incarnation brought redemption. The incarnation brought redemption. a second character comes to Mary and Joseph, not just Simeon, but now we have Anna. She's a prophetess who pronounces thanksgiving to God that he had brought redemption through his baby boy. This baby boy that they saw as their own would bring redemption to Jerusalem, the very city in which they were standing. Jerusalem had been taken captive by the hands of Babylon, but deeper still, the inhabitants of Jerusalem had been taken captive by their own rebellious hearts. And even though God had freed them from slavery in Egypt, they had enslaved themselves to their own way of thinking and their own life. And as a result, the people of Jerusalem begged God for redemption. Redemption speaks of purchasing back something that has been sold into debt or enslavement. To free someone that is enslaved, you would purchase them back with something costly and then give them their freedom. A truly faithful follower of God knows their need for redemption. And Israel, Jerusalem, knew their need for redemption. You see this all throughout the Psalms and all throughout the prophets. This is Psalm forty-four, twenty-six. The psalmist cries out, rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. In Psalm 69, 18, it says, Draw near to my soul, redeem me, ransom me because of my enemies. The promise of God is that he will redeem you and me, that he'll redeem his true people, Israel. We have to ask ourselves the question, do you think you even need redemption? Do you know that you need to be freed from your own sin? The psalmist did. The psalmist knew that we each needed redemption from our sin. And Jerusalem needed redemption as well. Psalm 130 verse 8 promises that he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And Isaiah 127 says, Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. The triune God that we serve saw mankind in our state of slavery to sin and death and decided to intervene. The father gave the costly sacrifice of his son so that we might be purchased off the slave block of sin. Look at what Galatians 3.13 says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus was hanged on that cross, on that tree for you and for me so that we might be redeemed from our sin, so that we might know his righteousness and accept it so that God would see us as righteous. But rather than enslaving us as a tyrant would, this God, he doesn't ask anything of us other than our allegiance. He doesn't enslave us further into something that is destructive. He, in a sense, calls us to be bondservants, to something that is beautiful and fruitful. He lovingly and graciously gave us back our freedom and said, choose whether you want to be one with me. Do you want to spend eternity with me or away from me? For those of us who choose to be his disciples, we have been redeemed and been made new. We have been given eternal life that begins now, not when we die or when the Lord comes back. And all of it, the consolation, the salvation, the redemption, the redemption, It began with that small baby, born of a virgin, promised from the first moment of sin. What an amazing honor it must have been for Simeon and Anna. Can you imagine? To be God's mouthpiece, pronouncing Jesus as the Christ. The one that would save the world from our sin. When God stepped into flesh in the form of his son, Jesus of Nazareth, he gave the world, he gave you and me a hope that cannot be swayed no matter what is happening in our lives. Church, if you are struggling with something today, whether it's internal or relational, whether it's dealing with something that nobody else can understand, remember that your God loved you enough to send his son incarnate in the flesh to be with you and walk with you. He gave his Holy Spirit to be alongside you and inside you, as you struggle with these things. And he surrounded you with the incarnate church to comfort you and love you. Today, I want you to know that your Savior desires to bring you comfort. He's already brought you salvation. And he's already redeemed you from the sin that's within. Knowing all this this morning, I want to lay out for us two points of application, especially at this season and time of life in our church. And just to give you some foreshadowing, don't get used to the speed at which I've taught today. I will go my normal length after the first of the year. I thought I'd give you a little bit more social time today. So we'll finish with these points of application. First, as we celebrate the hope brought to us by Jesus' first advent and the hope that we know will come at Jesus' second advent, I want to encourage you to take this Christmas celebration to truly rest in him. Here's your first point of application. Rest. I want you to rest in the hope of the incarnation. Brothers and sisters, we will not rest on our laurels in this church. Hopefully you know our leadership, you know me, enough to know that we will not rest on our laurels. We won't rest now that we have a permanent church home we'll just transfer our energy into new and different things. And we will begin to implement new ways of teaching and equipping and sending in this church so that people can be sent from this gathering space to draw others to Jesus. But for now, maybe uh, for the next month or so, and especially during this Christmas season, I want to encourage all of you, especially those of you who've been here for seven years, setting up and tearing down, I want to encourage you, To rest in the knowledge of God's incarnation. Rest in the fact that He has already done the work, that He has saved us. And I want you to take a a true breath to refresh your weary souls in the truth that God has given us peace and rest in His Son. I want you to rest. Enjoy this breath that is well deserved. Secondly, I want to paint a picture of the future. I want to remind all of us of a vision we laid out long ago. And that vision is this. I want us to be an incarnate church that brings the hope of Jesus to Salem and Kaiser. What an amazing time for us to figure out that we are the body of Christ. And that we, in this place, in this neighborhood, have been stationed here to be a lighthouse, bringing the light of the gospel to the world around us. Simeon and Anna received hope and a renewed voice of proclaiming God's good news because they were able to look into the eyes of their Savior. They were able to hold his hand, and they were able to hear his voice. Church, so many people in this city are so far from God. They do not know his loving gaze. They do not know the comfort of his loving arms. And they do not know his voice calling them to repent from that which will destroy them so that they might turn to the one that will absolutely fulfill them. Dear brothers and sisters, the people of this city need God in the flesh. They need to see his love, feel his comfort, and hear his truth. And God did not leave them as orphans, just as he did not leave you and me. So he's called us as ambassadors, taking his heart and his word to those he desires to save. Just as the Father sent the Son in human form, Jesus has sent us, Powered and regenerated by the Holy Spirit to be his incarnate body in this city. Look at what he says in John 20, 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In John 1, 14, we are told that the word, God himself became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God stepped into physical flesh, physical body, so that he could dwell among those he was sent to save. Mission Fellowship, I want you to hear the words of the the Apostle Paul when he says this, Now you are the body of Christ, individually members of it. Brothers and sisters, you have been sent to dwell among those God desires to save. Let the knowledge of God's incarnation not only give you rest this Christmas season, but also let it compel you and motivate you in the coming years to be a force of his love in this community. Let us not make this gathering space a bubble in which we forsake the calling to go and make disciples. Let us instead make this a city on a hill, a light shining for all to see, beckoning the lost of Salem and Kaiser and the surrounding cities and towns to know their loving God. A God that loved them and loved you and I so much that he sent his only son on that first Christmas day to become savior of the world. As you are sent from this place every Sunday and throughout the week in the coming years, remember that our mission has not changed. It has always been and will always be to go therefore. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. Mission Fellowship, as we make this our home, let's move forward from this place and show ourselves incarnate in the lives of the community around us, just as our Savior did on that first Christmas day. And in doing so, I know that we will bring the hope, salvation, redemption, and comfort to the city we love so much.